Hi, welcome to Venture Scaler. I'm Sasha, three time head of people at Venture Back Startups. And I'm Jake, three times ops and growth leader from the Venture Back Startup circuit as well. And we're here dropping all of our best tips on how to scale your startup. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, I appreciate you guys taking the time. We, Jake and I, have been chatting a little bit about how to help startups grow through any times, but most recently through a pandemic and a recession. And I thought, why not bring in my two favorite operational finance people and get their opinion on startups and growing and cash and how to manage everything through a recession. So um, for everyone watching, I'll give a quick little um, blurb on who you guys are, and then you guys can fill in any gaps that I miss because I probably leave out all the cool stuff. Um, but we have Drew. Drew's the Director of Finance and Operations at Trainual. Trainual is a business playbook software company here in Scottsdale. Um, they just closed $7 million in their Series A late last year, so 2019. Um, previously, Drew was the Director of Finance at eVisit, another local company in the a software company in the telemedicine space. Um, he's just finished up his MBA and trying to think of other really cool things about you. You're just a really cool person. We love Drew. Uh, and then we have Chris. Um, I, I worked with Chris way back when at Campus Logic, but um, he's currently the director of finance at Virtuous, which is a nonprofit CRM software company. They raised their $3 million Series A round last year. Um, prior to that, he was the director of finance at eVisit. And prior to that, he was um, the director of finance at Campus Logic, which is a student financial services software company who has raised $73 million in VC and PE funding to date. Um, you may, may be noticing some overlap. Drew and Chris both worked at eVisit. Chris and I both worked at Campus Logic. Drew and I now work together at Trainual. There's a lot of love happening in the Phoenix ecosystem, but thank you both for being here. Um, let's start with you, Chris, because I probably didn't give you enough praise, but anything else we should know about you and your fabulous background? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the kind words. Thanks for having me uh, today. And no, I, you, you pretty much nailed everything. I mean, and thinking through my journey of how um, I arrived at being the director of finance and, and accounting at a few different companies, I started my career at Deloitte & Touche um, in audit assurance, mostly doing uh, revenue recognition testing at software companies. Um, and it was a great start to my career, but I quickly found out that I was a little bit more entrepreneurial, not necessarily a big risk taker, but I definitely wanted more involvement in, in operations. And, and I had a, an opportunity to go work with the local CEO, Greg Scoresby, who uh, at the time and still is the CEO of Campus Logic. And so I, I went over and worked with him as their, their controller. And at the time we were just a services company to providing uh, outside outsourced services to financial aid offices. And uh, in that time, I started working with a couple of other, of his other companies that, you know, are less interesting, but um, from 2014 to 2018, I was in at Campus Logic, and that was, I really loved growing through those stages of, you know, convertible notes, series A, series B, series C, B, Acquired a company during that time, went from four customers to 450 customers. Uh, and I liked everything uh, in between uh, in those stages. So I was excited when I, when I left Campus Logic to go to eVisit, a similar company, uh, actually taking 
drew his place as he went off to t to finish his or start and finish his MBA. Um, and I was there for a year and then had an opportunity that came to me with Virtuous and excited to be at that same stage, just raising our Series A, um, 300 customers, and, and hopefully we'll, we'll get to thousands of customers and, and get through the Series B and C if needed. But that is uh, how I arrived here. Awesome. That's fantastic. Thank you. Drew, let's hear from you. Uh, what other, you know, what else have you, like, what did Sasha, you know, forget to fill in? What are some of the things on, like, in your journey to get to where you are today? Yeah, started off in, uh, started off in banking at JP Morgan in downtown Phoenix. Spent a couple of years doing that and quickly learned that uh, the people that were having the most fun were the ones operating and running the companies. So I, I jumped ship from big corporate banking lifestyle to a 15-person startup at eVisit. Uh, they raised a little bit of money and we're just trying to, to get some traction at that point. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I actually started out in a customer-centric role when I was there doing uh, sort of enterprise customer management and spent a year doing that before moving over to finance. Um, and then decided it would be a good time to go back to school, spend two years uh, getting an MBA for some reason. Uh, I'm really grateful that I did and I think it was a, a really good opportunity. And during the two years of my MBA, I uh, spent a lot of time in venture capital working with uh, local VCs, also running a small uh, VC that was part of the school, um, and had this opportunity to come to come back to Arizona and uh, work for Trainial. So really excited to be here. I've worked mostly with uh, earlier stage companies, uh, both pre-seed, seed, and now Series A stage company in Trainial. But uh, excited to to build this thing so that we can uh, so we can get to those bigger stages. Um, and set us up for success so nice all right let's dive into some questions so uh drew let's actually start with you let's keep it here uh and this could be for both but what lessons for success have you carried with you in your career and like what's like something that you like think about that you carried forward from company to company from experience to experience uh throughout your throughout your career yeah I I don't know if this is too broad or too vague, but I would say always be thinking about the bigger picture. I think a lot of times, especially in finance, when you're focused on budgets and expenses and you're looking at metrics, you're, you're like, you're getting really granular and you're trying to solve for uh, this week or this month's cash flow problems uh, instead of thinking about the bigger picture and understanding what's going on at the company. Um, and so, one thing that I try to do in, in each of my roles and at different companies is understand the strategic side of things and what the company is trying to accomplish um, on the bigger picture. So nice. that would be the main thing that I try to take from company to company. Chris, same question. Let's see if my, my internet is going to work. It's giving me a message. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. So, there are, there are kind of some qualitative lessons that I've learned, which one is be nice. Um, we, had, we had a value at Campus Logic that was, it was be nice and take care, take care of each other. And that can be hard because at the same time, you want to be able to have difficult conversations. But, but at the end of the day, I've learned that just caring about each other and, and being nice goes a lot further than... Um, the, the, the alternative. But aside from that, for me, 
it depends on what the goals of the, the company are, but my focus and the lesson I've learned is, is to always look at, um, be, be curious, to be analytical, to be strategic, all those things, but how can you impact the enterprise value of the company? What's the ROI of every decision? Um, at least in the last few companies, I found it very valuable to not be afraid to challenge the status quo and question, you know, why have we been doing it this way or that way? And, and also being open to accepting that we, the way they're doing it may be the best way to do it and, and respecting, you know, how, how they got there. Nice. That's great. Um, let's go with like, what, what's, Thinking back, this can be from like any past experience, but like the top like one or two biggest challenges you faced, um, like scaling a startup. Oh, want me to start? I can. Uh, sure. <laughs> I I honestly, I think it's finding the right people. There are a lot of good people out there that just may not be good for a role or good for a specific company, but. But over and over, I found that it's really hard to, to find the right people that, that can help achieve the company's goals. Um, I think that it's important for everybody to have shared values, even if they come from a variety of different backgrounds. But, but finding the person who fits well into your organization and into the company's style um, is, has been the hard, biggest challenge in every company. I'd be curious as a follow-up, how have you done that? Have you tried and successfully or unsuccessfully, unsuccessfully attracted and retained talent that you, that, that's a fit for the org? Because it's probably different at Campus Logic and eVisit and Virtuous, different types of people needed to solve the challenges that you're trying to solve. That was more of me answering my own question and that it's Yeah, impossible. so we're done. <laughs> But what have you, what have, she probably knew where, yeah, well, when, when Sasha and I worked together at Campus Logic, I saw a drastic difference once we began um, hiring based on, on the company's set of values. Mm. And again, I'm, I'm very careful when it comes to talking about culture versus values and people being the same person. You don't want a company full, full of people who are, who are the same, but you do want people with shared values. And I think that the most critical thing was that we put processes in place that allowed us to hire and interview against those values. And part of that was also having a diverse pipeline of candidates um, that seemed to, to make a big impact. So it's fun. It's not to be able to get referrals from, from employees, but I feel like sometimes when you get too many referrals from employees, you end up with uh, homogeneous population and you don't always get the best outcome. Did you see more success in pulling talent from other SaaS companies or were you looking at a broader background and kind of leveling them up and teaching them the things they need to know about operating a SaaS business? I, I think it's, for me, I think it's both. Um, the nice thing about hiring people with experience in, in SaaS or at that stage of company is that they're familiar with the challenges. Um, they're familiar with the challenges that, that you face. And that can be the most difficult thing about joining a startup is, is you're not anticipating uh, the, 
the challenges that, that lie ahead, whether it is you end up having to take on a broad array of responsibility that you didn't expect to take on, um, or whether it's tightening cash and budget and not being able to, to spend the way that you want to be able to spend. But and on the other hand, um, I love when we're able to find somebody who maybe just graduated or who is early in their career and is aspirational and uh, wants to get their hands dirty and have a chance at working in all sorts of areas of the business because usually they're hungry to, to learn and grow. Nice. Um, I want to get into like something a little bit more tactical, uh, maybe strategic, but I love like trying to understand how different people think about this at different companies and you can pull from, you know, any of these past experiences, but in thinking about like a, a company that going through like this growth phase, uh, going like through scale, how do you think about balancing growth and profitability uh, as you're going through that, that journey? And that's what I'm excited to hear about from like the finance side of the house. I know like I have my own opinions, but how do you think about that balancing those two things? They feel like they're usually at odds as you're going through this phase. And yeah. I'm oh, sorry, just real quick. Okay. I'd almost think like sharing any insights you have from talking with your CEOs respectively, like how do you like navigate that conversation and what are the things that you're considering or the levers that you're willing to pull throughout this decision-making process? Yeah, I think I think that this this is like a a classic uh, a classic issue that startup space is we don't have much money but we need to spend money to grow. How much should we spend and how fast should we be growing? Right? It's it's what uh, this is the hard part about startups. And I don't want to give like a classic finance answer of like just look at the numbers. That'll be that's all you have to do. Uh, but that's in my opinion that's kind of the answer here is you have to make sure that you are growing but that is efficient growth. So there are a number of metrics that you can look at, CAC, LTV to CAC, churn, uh, some sales efficiency metrics of how much you're spending in sales and marketing versus what are you bringing in in terms of new ARR. Um, and so as long as you are efficiently growing, um, that's what you should be measuring against. As soon as that gets out of hand and you're spending too much money to acquire customers or you're unable to retain them because churn spikes because you don't have the infrastructure in place to support those new customers, um, then all of that spending and burn to grow is, is worthless because the, the whole point is to add value in the future. And if you can't do that with good um, quality customers that are going to stick around for a long time, then you might not, you, you may as well have not have spent the money to acquire them in the first place. So make sure that you're in line with your CEO about which metrics you're going to be checking and levers that you can pull, whether that is uh, hiring new salespeople, holding off for a while, or um, pulling back on marketing spend while you make sure that uh, different cohorts are progressing the way that you want. That's, those are the things that I would look out for. Follow-up question. Like you're talking about CAC and churn, which are probably ultimately owned by the head of marketing or the head of CS. So what role do you play in their spend or how they think about adding new members to their team, like adding another CS team member or like spending on ads. Like what is your role in that? Is there, is, do you, are you in those conversations? Apparently I can't talk today. Um, like, I guess I just think like, how do you navigate those conversations, especially in a market like right now where people aren't willing to just like 
spend cash on anything. Yeah, I think, I think one thing you have to do is, and it depends on the organization and how big they are and mature and how many people are involved. But uh, I, see as, I see finance and operations sort of as the glue that holds the different departments together. So knowing that, uh, knowing that a decision that's made in marketing to increase spend or decrease spend, that will affect the sales team and the sales team will affect the customer success team. And that might affect what the product team is building in the future. Um, and so being sort of the, the glue to make sure that the organization understands how one decision in one department affects the rest and measuring metrics in this department that will affect things that go on in, in the other departments. Uh, that's how I see finance operations helping with, with those decisions. Nice. Chris, let's go back to the, how do you think about balancing profitability and growth? How do you think yeah. about it? Well, I've yet to be at a profitable company, uh, but I think, I think I understand balancing uh, growth and, and value, right? Enterprise value. And it depends on the company too. You may, you may be at a company at this stage, especially in the current condition that where you do want to drive to profitability. But going back to the original question, I, for me, it does go back to starting with, a, with the basics, and that is building a financial plan that gives you enough levers and enough detail that you can see that when you change, uh, let's say, your cost to for paid leads, what impact that's going to have down the line on revenue. And as that, and as that drives revenue and customer acquisition up, then we need to look at, okay, well, we have all these new customers onboarding. How many, how many customers uh, can a single, you know, in our case, integration specialist, can they handle at one time? And each of these things, as you change the number of leads, how does it ultimately change how many CS reps you need, uh, for example, or, or, or whatever those hires are. And then in the case where, in our case, so looking at, 2020. We built a plan in Q4 of 2019 with limited information uh, and a lot of guessing, but we involved each department head and said, you know, what, what are you currently spending or telling them what they're currently spending and then helping them identify, okay, what do you think you'll need to, to spend money on or who do you need to hire um, in the coming year? And we built it out for at least those next 12 months, but in in January, February, we all know that, that COVID-19 hit and things dramatically changed. And, and whether they dramatically changed or not, I still think it's a good practice that at least every quarter you go back and look and say, what have we learned and what do we need to change in this plan? How do our levers, how did our levers change? How did our conversion, like maybe we were way off on how many leads we would convert to to demos and demos to customers and so and so forth. And so we went through an exercise in um, actually the very beginning of April for the, for the rest of the year and said, okay, well, we, we changed how we measure leads and, uh, and, and we expect to get less leads from events and conferences. Um, and, and so we modified everything and looked and said, okay, well, here's our new revenue goal and here's how it impacts our, our cash flow. And we're going to have to slow hiring. How's that going to impact sales? So for me, it starts at building a really good financial plan that, that has enough levers that you can test it on an ongoing basis. And then you can make better decisions about 
how you're going to drive your growth. And you'll get better and better and more accurate over time because you're changing periodically to get closer to, to reality. So I think that answered your question. Yeah, no, I love that answer. That was great. Um, actually, like I had like another question I wanted to ask, and then it's like a I think a good opportunity right here. So as we're going through like and obvious like the obvious example is COVID, but there's like other examples where like you know the business like the business hits a downturn or the economy hits a downturn. Um, I know like the company I worked at previously, like we had a whole plan around if and when a recession happened, how are we going to deal with that? Because we were working in in real estate, so I'd like to just like ask like when you think about those kinds of levers in your financial plan and as you're working with other teams, um, like Drew, you're talking about like, you know, like working with like operations and other teams as well. What are those levers that you're thinking about? <clears throat> what do you have at your disposal to, to pull to conserve cash, to minimize burn rate, to get through those like tougher times? Yeah. So there's, um, we're doing a number of things right now. Uh, are kind of obvious, right? Like you're checking your spending, you're canceling any sort of travel, you're looking at uh, like office space and like little things that you can adjust to to save a little bit of money. Um, I think finance can have a much bigger impact by uh, providing insights and value on top line growth and also on churn. So I think when you look at a, like when you look at our business, we're able to save a lot more money by reducing churn by one percentage point rather than like doing an entire audit of every software that we use and trying to save 10% on software, we would, we, uh, we would save so much more cash if we could just affect churn a little bit, or if we could increase revenue a little bit. So being the, um, helping out the organization with top line growth and churn and things like that, I think are much more valuable than finding little places to, to save money. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. You should definitely try to cut back where you can. Uh, maybe push some headcount planning, but like maybe push new headcount back and things like that. But uh, more than anything, um, top line and, and churn are what affect our business uh, the most in cash. And so that's, that's where I've tried to spend my time during this. I'm, I want to dig in there just a little bit because that's really interesting. The idea of uh, really trying to tackle churn as a, as a problem, as like a lever to conserve cash to uh, I really love that. But like, how, how have you been, how have you been working with other teams to address that? Like what kind of like planning or recommendations or like, you know, how are you actually starting to take action on that idea? Yeah. So for example, right now at Trainual, our product team is testing a few things in the sign up flow process. So when, when a customer goes online to sign up, for our product, they're doing some A-B testing. And so uh, our organization is helping them analyze the results and see which flow would is going to result in a stickier, better customer. Nice. And so being able to help them analyze that um, on a weekly basis is, is one way that we're working right now. Uh, we're working with customer success to identify what is what makes uh, our customers most successful so that in their first month or second month of being our customer, what can customer success do to get them to value quicker so that they're less likely to churn in one of the first few months? So those are like two things that are going on right now that we're trying to solve. Uh, it's not perfect, but uh, having somebody that can sort of sit in the middle and understand how each decision affects their department, uh, I think will be valuable. We'll see. Yeah, that's fantastic, nice. 
And then Chris, let's go back to you on the, uh, like the levers. Like how do you think about levers that you can pull to help conserve cash to extend runway and that sort of thing at, at startups? Yeah, similar to Virtuous, uh, we recently raised, uh, sorry, similar to Trade Newell, we recently raised money. So we feel comfortable um, for the foreseeable future. However, we're not, we're not listening to comfort. Um, we're, we are also doing what we can to accelerate, uh, accelerate cash collection. And that, that comes from two sources. One is current customers and, and the other, which would be on, on the retention side, and then new customers. So a couple of things that, that I've done is I've gone in um, and made sure that I've looked at the upcoming renewals over the next 12 months, and I make sure that there's nothing out there pending, and make sure that we're staying ahead of it from a timing perspective so that we don't have a renewal pass and we don't get to take advantage of invoicing them on, in a, on a timely basis. The other thing that we've done is, may seem counterintuitive, but we actually um, kind of threw out a promotion to, to prospects and said, hey, if you sign up, in the next whatever 30 or 60 days, we'll delay your payments, you know, three to six months. So that we don't need cash now, but we will get lump sum payments over the next three to nine months. And hopefully we'll be able to acquire customers in a time that's kind of difficult for, for customers to be comfortable signing. But most of them feel comfortable that they'll have cash three to six months from now. Um, and it enables them to, to do that. So we also have, had a major push towards customers paying us annually or semi-annually or quarterly, but in larger chunks sooner. And um, by doing that, it significantly extends our runway. Uh, but like Drew said, the majority of our cash from here on out forever will come from renewals. And, and for that reason, uh, it, a critical piece of our, our cash forecast is, is the renewal base. That's awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. I like that. Like it's just like considering like the churn piece, it doesn't seem super obvious when you're thinking about like the, the immediate reaction, like the knee jerk is, can we get out of our lease? Can we push back hiring? Can we like do these, you know, like tangible things to stop spending money, but you're thinking about things in terms of how do we keep revenue coming in? How do we continue like that flow? How do we, really like double down on renewals because that's easy and low cost. That's really interesting. I, li I like that a lot. Yeah. And I think that typically off the expense side is the, it's kind of the easiest thing to control. Um, it's easy for me to be within a couple percent of my projected expenses month after month, uh, just because we, we have total control over that. We have a lot less control over uh, customers and their, and their decisions. And so by doing this, we're, we're helping incentivize them and helping them make certain decisions. But on, on the cost side, marketing in a growth stage company, there's a lot of money going out in marketing. It costs a lot of money for SEO and for acquiring leads. And so if you're wasting money and you're not watching uh, your ROI on, on the, that spend, then you could end up in a bad place also. So like recently, I sat down with our, our director of marketing and we mapped out exactly what uh, the value of a sales accepted lead was 
for us. And then we wanted to look at what is the value by lead source because lead, each lead source has a different value. And each lead source will provide a lead that has a different conversion rate that might have a different average selling price. And by identifying some of these basic things, we'll be able to watch this and see where we, where we should be spending more money to get a larger return, which will in turn drive cash collection down the line. So we do have other smaller lever levers outside of retention and yeah. acquisition. That's great. Drew, are you going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say that uh, Chris, Chris and I are both working for companies that are in a unique spot where we just raised money. And so yeah. uh, cash is not an immediate concern. It's definitely not something that we're like just thrown around like crazy. But uh, if you were to talk to finance people at other companies, they would be having a much tighter control on spend and they'd probably be trying to get out of leases and they may even have to fire some people. Um, and so fortunately, we haven't been in that position at Trainual, um, but we have the luxury of this, uh, of a pretty decent balance sheet where we can, we, can, we can then focus on maintaining growth or decreasing churn and things like that, so. To, to add to that, I, there's a little bit of a lesson learned for us in this that I think is valuable because you don't know when, Jake, you had mentioned, you know, you had a plan, what will we do in the case of a recession? You don't know, you don't know when that's going to happen. Right. So what do you do today to protect, your, to protect yourself against that? And we didn't take on, we're debt averse. <laughs> we don't like debt. Um, and, and so when we with our series a we decided against um taking on any debt and that was kind of a hard decision at the time we, we looked at the cost and we looked at our runway and where we thought we'd be and if we would need it and at the time it didn't make sense it was purely an insurance policy and likely an expensive one at that um in retrospect it wasn't it wouldn't have been that expensive and had we had that in our in our back pocket today we would have probably runway to, to cash flow, uh, break even at some point, and if we wanted to. Um, and so because luckily we have some growth and some stability, and luckily we just raised our Series A. So part of what I'm doing, aside from being able to get the, the PPP loan funding, um, I'm still reaching out to the capital sources and venture debt sources and seeing what's available because right now the insurance policy uh, and that security for the unknown uh, seems, seems like a good bet. Yeah. That's great. All right. I have a quick follow-up question. Talking over Zoom is so difficult. I feel like I keep trying to say something and I'm going to think <laughs> of someone. Um, I would just be curious for both Chris and or Drew. Have you seen your marketing spend and the growth strategy change at all with COVID specifically in either the sources that you are acquiring leads from or your messaging or like any sort of pivots in your business or your, your strategy over the last, let's say, three months? Yeah, I'll, we, so we actually, it was bad timing. We wrote a book <laughs> launched when Amazon, we had all the books in Amazon's warehouse the, like basically the day they said, yeah, we're not going to ship any books. Um, we're not, <laughs> we're but luckily we ordered a bunch of books and, and had them um, on site. But 
so we had this idea that we were going to be using using our book and, and sending out, mailing it out. And luckily we have some that we have been doing that with. We expect it to be at events and conferences. That was going to drive the majority of our of our leads, by far the majority. So we've had to be much more creative and we have done uh, plenty of webinars. Our CEO, uh, our director of partnerships has been, they have been busy with multiple webinars uh, every week, we hosted a an industry thought leadership uh, conference on our own. We've been participating in other virtual virtual conferences and getting as many leads from those sources. But but we have had to pivot a little bit, and um, you know whether that's through it's a lot of it has been through partnerships. We've we've had an increased focus on on partnerships and getting referrals from from partners um, and. We have shifted our, our SEO and, and kind of retargeting strategy because you know, some of those things haven't been working. But um, I think the, one of the other interesting things we did was we launched a Slack channel, which aligned really well with um, this responsive fundraising focus that we've had. And it wasn't just a Slack channel for our customers, but it was for uh, anybody in our industry. And while we hosted, I said Slack channel. I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a Slack channel. Um, and it's also for anybody in our industry. And so they, we've seen that work well. Quickly, we had almost 200 people join the group, the Slack group. And we are able to add value uh, from the things that we've learned, excerpts from the book. We're able to see these prospects and customers uh, get together and brainstorm ways that they're navigating the current situation. So that's, we haven't necessarily had a lot of leads come from that, but it's been a big brand building opportunity that we otherwise would have tried to get from conferences and trade shows. So that's been interesting. Nice. Drew, same question. If you remember the question, I barely. No, no. Uh, it's interesting because I actually started full-time at Trainual during COVID. Haven't met most of the team in person. Uh, fin finished school. I worked for Trainual part-time uh, during my last semester and then uh, started full-time a few weeks ago. But uh, so it's been, it's been an interesting transition. But uh, Trainual is a great tool for remote teams. Uh, and so our marketing team has done a really great job um, positioning it as such. So Teams are able to document their policies and procedures and help with um, onboarding. And uh, it's a really great tool for remote teams. So we've been able to spin up a site. Um, I think it's called Remote Work Resources. You can edit that in there if you'd like. This is a finance guy, not a marketing guy. So I'm not prepared for all of the, uh, the brand questions. But spun up a site for people to go get information about remote work resources and um, just like Chris, our, our CEO and CMO have been doing a lot of webinars and uh, virtual conferences. We've, we've shifted some money that we were gonna spend on, um, on trade shows and events um, to more to virtual events and things like that. And it's, it's worked out well. We're keeping a closer eye on marketing spend. Um, but like Chris said earlier, we're just looking at what our plan and goal was for the year and trying to make sure that we uh, stay on track with that while while still being efficient. So we've done some spinning and marketing to, to help during this time, but uh, nothing, nothing drastic in terms of a pivot from our product or anything. 
Let's shift gears a little bit. Um, I like to think more just in general about the, the growth stage for startups. So like looking back and maybe this is also like people in your network, uh, other companies, what's the most common mistake you see startups make during the growth stage? And then, you know, looking at that, like those big challenges, uh, the common mistakes, how can founders best prepare to avoid those pitfalls? Yeah. So, uh, both just based on my experience and then also seeing and seeing other companies, I think the hardest thing for companies to do during their sort of rapid growth is learn to say no. So, it's really hard for companies to say no to enterprise deals. If they're an SMB product, it's really hard for them to say no to partnerships. If they look like bright and shiny and like they could bring in a lot of money. But uh, so the mistake that I see it most often is that uh, founders and early stage companies lack focus and they try to do too much because, uh, because the money is looks good. So, I would say learning to say no, focusing on what you do best, and um, being disciplined would be one thing that would help a lot of early stage companies. I love that. Uh, Chris, same question. What's the most common mistake you see during the growth stage and how can founders and teams best prepare to avoid those challenges? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a catch 22 because I feel like most CEOs lack focus um, and it is part of what makes them great. They're, they <laughs> have ideas they're kind of everywhere but it is it's what makes them great it's why they're in that position and and most of the time why they're successful but it's exactly it is exactly like drew said it, you you lack focus you try to do too many things you you there are so many ideas coming at you of what you should be doing and so it's really hard to stay to stay focused and actually execute on those ideas um i think it the success i've seen most it's probably a virtuous. I really have liked the simplicity of the goal setting. Uh, I've used a variety of different different uh, goal setting methods at one company. It was uh, four disciplines of execution, and they all kind of align. Um, at at virtuous, we use rocks, and um, it's part of traction. The book traction, mm -hmm. and every quarter we set three rocks and they're usually outside kind of your normal day-to-day -day thing. What are the big things that you need to move during that quarter? Um, and then it, it allows you to focus on that. Yeah, you still have to continue doing the day-to-day, -day, but you stay focused on that for a period of time and you end up getting those things done. You don't try to do too much. You set just enough goals and you get it done. And then if you come up with another good idea, do it the next quarter. If there's something you didn't finish, finish it the next quarter. But but don't overwhelm yourself with so many goals um, that it becomes impossible to achieve it is probably, that's probably how I've seen the most success is just setting the right number of goals and focusing on them. I'd be interested since both of you have worked at multiple software companies and interfaced with the boards there and Drew, you've worked with venture capitalists at the firms. What are three tangible pieces of advice that, you see given over and over again from investors to their portfolio companies? Mm. To both of you. Good question. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, it's hard because I, I think of the most recent 
things that I've experienced, and Julie's probably uh, experienced them too. But as far as the question was most common kind of advice from the investors or the board members, um, you got me. Sorry. To the top of my head really quickly, but, but I've really enjoyed different, I've noticed that different board members um, provide different value uh, in a board meeting, for example, or outside of the board meeting. And they all serve different roles. And it can sometimes be overwhelming um, interacting with them. But if you understand that they, they have your best interest, the company's best interest at heart, and that it's an opportunity for you to learn from their experience and their, their knowledge, then, then it makes it a bit easier. Uh, one of the board members at, at Virtuous was, you know, initially uh, come off as not intense, but just he's very smart, very analytical. And I, I quickly um, realized that when he would, when he would make corrections to something that I, that I uh, delivered, it was to help me. He'll never not find something wrong. <laughs> uh, it, it pushes me and I, in retrospect, really, really appreciate it. And it's changed how I, how I look at things. So when I talked earlier about having kind of levers at a more detailed level in your plan, uh, it was driven by, by that influence. And, and it's been really helpful. So they're there to help you. Um, and sometimes it can be overwhelming, but you know, take it with a grain of salt. Nice. Okay. Uh, I would say uh, don't wait for the quarterly board meeting to deliver important news, both good news and bad news, right? Like, uh, I think the last thing investors want is to show up to a board meeting and find out something that they had no idea about that they could have helped with. And that at least from the, from the VC side, I have seen that Yes, investors are busy and they're doing a lot of stuff, but uh, a lot of times they, they just want to know how they can help. And uh, they have uh, they have Rolodexes where they, if you need a VP of sales, like you should talk to them because they know a bunch of people that could help with that. So going to your board members early and often about uh, issues, good news, um, questions that you have would be like a, a main piece of advice is uh, get to them early and often. Be transparent with them. Like, don't uh, like send the board deck a few days early and like see if they have questions about it. Make sure that that you're calculating things the way that uh, that they would expect, so that you don't get yelled at. Like apparently Chris has in the past. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, be transparent and uh, talk early and often with them. Yeah, and adding to that, there have been um, multiple times recently where. Uh, board member has commented, uh, commended us for being quick to take action. So one of the things that we that we do is we always take notes of, of the action items and then we report back on those. Um, even if there's a delay from our initial deadline, we'll say, hey, this is where we're at and we take action on it. Not that you have to do everything that they, that they suggest, but um, they really appreciate the transparency and being quick to take action on on their requests uh, and and you, it will benefit you down down the road again in the current situation I don't know where fundraising is going to go I hope that we face zero cash problems in the future but if we do I want to be one of the the our investors favorite companies 
where they will uh, reinvest if needed. Nice, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, good to be the favorite in that case. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's, close out, let's close out on this question. Um, what is, this is like for both of you, what's like the one main piece of advice that you would give to a founder or maybe like another head of uh, finance that's looking to grow and scale a tech startup. So like your one key piece of advice. Take a minute to ponder, make sure it's good. <laughs> I don't want any more BS answers from you, Chris. Okay, fine. No, it's, it's not like anybody's still watching at this point. Uh, <laughs> Everybody's tapped out, they're bored. <laughs> Last time you have two finance people on the same. <laughs> Yeah, anytime there's a one piece of advice, I mean, there's so much advice to give. It's all bad <laughs> advice, but there is a, there's a lot um, of advice. It's, the thing is, what's interesting is what you expect from an operational finance um, leader is for that answer to be around metrics, and it should be. Um, there's often so much going on, but for every CEO that I've worked for, their focus is on metrics. They want you there because they want to be able to make decisions based on data. So the one piece of advice I would probably get, give is, let's say you're brought in uh, as the first finance leader, get your data clean uh, and something that you can rely on across the board and across the organization. And the value that will come from that, not everybody will understand the value of it immediately, but um, make that your goal to be able to measure, um, to be able to provide accurate metrics. And that, that goes from making sure that sales reps are properly entering data into deals in your CRM. And yep. when you close a deal, making sure that data is accurate. And if you have to keep a separate spreadsheet to be uh, measuring your increases and decreases in in your ARR by customer by product, then do that until you can afford a system to do it for you. But also go in and clean and clean that data right away and create a new baseline for yourself. And uh, it will provide value. It will provide value for a long time and um, where you don't expect it at times too. It will increase your company's enterprise value, your valuation when you go to raise capital, when the investors can trust your numbers. Yeah. Love that. You redeemed yourself. <laughs> Good. Yeah. It's touch and go there for a while. You're about to be kicked <laughs> off all your calls. I'll just. <laughs> Chris says that about cleaning data and keeping separate spreadsheets because he inherited a bunch of really crappy spreadsheets from me at Evis. <laughs> Where everything was like super manually tracked because I didn't trust anything. So I <laughs> track everything. Um, hmm. So one piece of advice, I'll, I'll say this is a piece of advice for a finance leader at a startup. Great. Uh, Sasha knows that I have uh, a... Uh, Sasha knows that I'm obsessed with anything that is written by Ben Horowitz from Andreessen Horowitz and that he, uh, I sort of like live and die by the things that he says. But one of the things that 
that I really like that he talks about is uh, the three most important things are the people, the product, and the profits in that order. And I think sometimes as a finance leader, you're so focused on the profits side of things that you can forget about the other two. But I think even as a finance leader, uh, the order doesn't change. That you are, you got to make sure that the people, then the product, then the profits are the most important things. And while your realm of your sphere of influence is mostly on the profit side, um, as long as you keep those things in the right order, that you'll be able to affect change at the organization. So that's sweet. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you both for spending time with us this evening. This has been a delight. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate you sharing all of your wonderful insights with the world. We'll see if anybody else feels the same, but yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like this was nice. It was I got good. a lot out of it. I did too. Yeah, Chris, too. It was, a, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Thank Thanks you for both. letting us do this. Yeah, Absolutely. for sure. Hey, thanks for listening to Venture Scaler. If you're listening on a podcast platform, be sure to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think. We also have a version on YouTube if you want to watch the show instead. And if you found the episode helpful, please share it with a friend, a family member, or anyone else that you think could benefit. And you're also welcome to connect with us on LinkedIn. Thanks again for watching and we'll see you next time.